Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we have a conversation with a man that lost his dad at 13, was a drug addict for 10 years, cleaned up his act, changed jobs a few times, found himself, and traveled the world learning and teaching. It's a unique journey of struggle and a journey of discovery. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About Addiction to Discovery. Russ Tarclaw has been cycling around South America for a year. He got stuck in Peru. He was in lockdown in the UK, Kenya, and now resides in Colombia. Welcome to the show, Russ. Thank, thanks very much for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to come speak to you. Well, this is a, a quite a journey that you've uh, partaken in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look back on my life, and financially I might not be super rich, but I, I think I'm quite rich in other things you know i um yeah if i if i died today I, i'd be happy you know I, I i've done a lot of things i've done more than most people i've experienced so much stuff um yeah I, I've, I've done enough in my life to be to to not worry about dying now and and then sitting there you know just before you're dead and going i wish i'd done this and i wish i'd done that i, I wouldn't have that you know that i've done most things that I want to do, and I, there's still more stuff I want to do, but you know, it's uh, I, I can say that, yeah, I've tried, I've tried a lot of things, done a lot of things, done a lot of things wrong, so, or perception of society saying it's wrong, you know, is it, is it wrong? I don't know. Uh, so, well, yeah, yeah, we've all, we've all, we've all have, have done the right things and the wrong things, and wondered if we could go back and change that and whether or not we'd keep the same journey. Um, I, I don't think I would actually. You know, there's there's been dark times where I thought, oh, what's that? But now, you know, with a clear head and, and being able to look at the landscape, there's only one or two things where I, where I've hurt other people, where I'd want to go back and change that. Really, the other things where I've done damage to myself or or whatever, I wouldn't do that. It's experience, isn't it? It's life. It's uh, something about when I was cycling and, and it had annoyed me after a bit because everyone would be going, oh, be careful. Because I was on my own, I'd be going into the jungle and things like that. I'll be careful. You know, I'd rather go out and enjoy myself. I'd rather die doing that. I'd rather have some scars and some stories to tell than, you know, have a bland, beige life. And, you know, all I've done is gone to work at two weeks holiday every year. And, and, and that's that. So, you know, I, I quite like my life. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a retired police sergeant, so I've got a few mm -hmm. scars of my own. I was retired after being injured in the line of duty and... In spite of all that, I wouldn't go back and change anything other than probably getting out of the way of the suspect that hit me with his car. Oh. I'd probably try to get out the way. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that kind of yeah. hurt for a long time. Still hurts. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, where'd you... Go on, sorry. No, go ahead, sir. No, I was going to say, like, I've had some, some bad motorbike accidents and things like that, and I don't know whether I'd go back and change those, like, where fractured my neck and crushed one of my vertebras and things and you know uh, at the time I'd wanted but now looking back it's like yeah it's a, I, I like telling stories and it's <laughs> stories to tell isn't it <laughs> yeah the scar the scars all have stories yeah so where did you grow up um, North Wales um, so in the United Kingdom in North Wales so about um, where people all know about 40 miles from Liverpool 40 mile bit further from Manchester, so in the north of England. That's why I've got this accent. It's a great accent. Sounds like the Beatles almost. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a, I've, from Liverpool, they call it Scouse, don't they? It's, there's a bit of Scouse in there. There's, there's a bit of Manchester in there because I lived there. And, and then the odd word 
uh, comes out Welsh, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's well, funny. I've actually my uh, my ancestry traces back to uh, Wales and to uh-huh. uh, the London area and um, okay. Scotland and Ireland. Uh-huh. So I've, my third third generation grandmother and grandfather were born in Ireland. So we go back there a little ways, but I, I've got a, I kind of got a Colorado accent, I guess. Even though I live in Arizona, I grew up in Colorado. Okay. So everybody thinks I have an accent coming from Colorado when I really, to me, it's not an accent. <laughs> yeah, everyone thinks that about their own, don't they? Yeah, that's nice in Colorado. I've been skiing up there before. I miss Colorado. Colorado was really, um, we, you know, living in the desert now, I kind of miss the mountains. I miss green. I actually miss green, yeah. like real green. You know, they've got bushes and trees here, but nothing like, uh, you know, we lived uh, about 8,500 feet up in the mountains and yeah. we had 75 and 100 foot pine trees. Mm-hmm. So their trees here are like bushes compared to that. But <laughs> that's just that's just our opinion. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what I love about where I am now in, in Medellin, um, in Colombia. It's 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 like a huge bowl that it's that it's sat in, surrounded by mountains. Uh, I, I love the mountains. Like I've been living in Thailand for the last 12, 12 years or something, and uh, I've been living by the beach pretty much. So it's it's nice to get back to the mountains because I, I feel at home in the mountains. Yeah, so do I. So do I. But I'm stuck here in Arizona for a while, so. So you grew up there. Did you go to college there? Did you go to you went to obviously uh, school there, but college? Yeah, I went, went to school in North Wales, and then um, school school was difficult to me because obviously we spoke about it that my dad died, and and um, I shut down then. I'm, it seems to, I'm I'm felt pretty intelligent, lazy, but intelligent, and <laughs> not not very good at detail. So. So needless to say, school didn't really fit me. And, and as I, how I think as well, school didn't fit me. So after my dad died, I really just shut down. Everything imploded with me. I didn't, I didn't want to speak about it. I didn't want to speak to anyone about it. I just I wanted to shut it out. But I, 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 you know, I was so angry and upset inside. You know? so, so going to school, I didn't do anywhere near as well as I should have done. So I had to go, I had to, go to some college to try. I started a job, then I had to go to some college and then um, I'd done this access course and then ended up going to university after that uh, for three years. And you know, that was a, that was okay, a bit of a we, blur. Can we explore uh, you losing your dad? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so uh, on, on several levels, it was um, very traumatic. One, uh, initially, one, you know, a 13-year-old boy, which without trying to, sound like that, you know, feel sorry for me and everything, is a, is a really bad age to, especially to lose a father figure because you're going through that change of puberty, aren't you? So your body's just in chaos anyway, isn't it? You know what I mean? There's hormones and everything going all over the place. You know, you, you don't know which way's up and which way's down and then throw in that trauma and of losing the dad and, you know, it, it really, really, really affected me. And... Although I don't like saying it because it sounds it sounds quite bad, it still affects me today. You know, uh, at the weekend, last weekend, yeah, last weekend, I, I was doing some um, doing some work through that as well. You know, working on stuff with, about um, about my dad. So let's go back to what happened. Sorry, I digress. So yeah, the, one one of the difficult things was, I don't know, and, and I sort of admitted it this weekend. It's like, you know, I had my dad on a, a pedestal. Uh, really looked up to him. Uh, 
he is massively flawed as well. Like, but so, but he had a brain brain tumor. But they misdiagnosed him, so they put him into um, a mental institution. So, and that that was struggling for me because it's like my dad's not dead. I mean, oh, sorry, but that's not mad, you know. Um, and, and having to go there with all those other people, that was quite traumatic for me as well. And then eventually, I think I don't know how long it was. I haven't got a clue on time scales. I'd have to ask my mum; she knows it better. Eventually, they took him. They realised what it was. They took him over to Liverpool to the hospital. There, it was it was in the early days of like working on brain tumours and everything. Because it was what nineteen eighty three, nineteen eighty three. So, um, they took him over there. And scan, done a brain scan, found out he had a brain tumor, and and one of one of the things that you know it's like these small things, isn't it, that that happen with, with uh, grief that like my mum, so you know it's it's easy for me to criticise now. It's like my mum's said to us that um, he's going to get better, you know, he's going to have to do some stuff and then he's going to get better because she thought that's the best thing to do. You know what I mean? When he didn't, he died that night. You know, um, what he was going to have is chemotherapy and then get some remission, hopefully, and then come out for a short period of time and then, then die, you know, because he, he was not going to live. So he died that night, you know, so so that, I was angry at my mum over telling me that. She lied to me, you know what I mean? She, as a kid, you don't realise that she's going through grief. She's got two young kids that she's got to work out, and and what the love of her life's dying. You know what I mean? So um, you, you don't see that. So that, that that carried with me for years. And also, uh, I remember him saying, like, you know, come see me tomorrow and everything. And I'm like, I can't. I've got homework to do, and I felt so guilty about that. You know, uh, which is weird. Yeah, but 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 that's part of grief, isn't it? You find things that. Um, that you feel that you can get angry about, that you can get sad about, and that you can get guilt, feel guilty about, you know, and that is just natural progression of what everyone does, varying degrees and varying points, and, and there's no order for it. But you will go through all those three, three things, you know, especially anger and um, sadness and sorrow, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, I, you know, and I, that was it, and I, I just shut down and. I didn't really know how to live life. I didn't really know how to communicate with people after that. You'd done it. You'd done it to get by. But, you know, I was so, I was so frightened uh, of everything. Uh, you know, I don't know why. Just super, super frightened of everything, um, which which is now looking back on it. And, and it, that, that's carried through my life. It, it's akin to PTSD. It, it's, I've never been diagnosed, so I can't say I've got it. But it's a kid to PTSD that on edge all the time and, and that flight or fright ready all the time. It's like as I'm walking down the street, I'm looking at people. If there's a big group coming towards me, it's like, okay, a bit, am I going to have to fight with these people? And that's been, that feeling's been with me for most of my life now, for most of my adult life, you know? So, and, and I think that's a, um, I can't think of the word now. That's, that's because of what's happened there, you know what I mean? Because of, I'm, I'm so confused, so mixed up so frightened of everything you know before that and not that I was a great fighter I would fight with people you know after that I, I didn't want to I didn't I was frightened of it I was scared of what would happen um and, and as also I said to my dad that I'd be good and that, that I wasn't good and I was just so so messed up you know uh, when you look back at it and you break it down I don't know so it, it, it got I think it's because, you know, at that age, especially because it's a very, like you said earlier, it's a very, 
a very significant age as a young man, a young boy turning into a young man, mm. and you lose that that parental side of it, your father figure. I yeah, I understand it one hundred percent. Yeah, I you know I, I understand it. I, obviously, I didn't deal with it well. I didn't speak about it. I didn't talk to anyone. My mum, you know, wanted to. She tried to, but I just pushed everyone away. You know, so so that that really um, affected my life, and it shut my life down. And I, and I, and it was only recently when I was I was starting to write um, a book, which I stalled on at the moment because so much has changed in my life. It didn't really work now. Um, and and in that, I realised that sort of you know look at my drug taking and everything, but that that sort of saved my life in a way because it enabled me to be able to get out of myself. It enabled me to sort of get away from from that impending doom and all that pressure that was put on me, and it, and it, it liberated me. Eventually, it, it it went the other way, you know what I mean. But it enabled me to start living my life, which you know, which was which. Which helped me in that field. So from 16, 17, you know, as I was keen on sports, and then I just started going out and getting drunk all the time, starting to take drugs, um, and going through that natural progression of, of drug taking and, and getting worse and worse on that, really. So you got in, you, you started experimenting with or taking drugs when you were 16 or 17? Yeah, I think probably 16 a little bit, then 17 probably really started kicked off then. You know where it started to get most days, because at sixteen I think I was still uh, still doing a lot more sports, playing ice hockey at the time. So you know, and then uh, then it just enabled that, and it enabled me then to speak to girls more. It enabled me to go out and have fun. It enabled me to smile. It enabled me to laugh. It enabled me to joke. It enabled me to have friends. You know, so it, it, there was massive benefits to it as well. If you if you look at it in in in, in the true essence of it. You know, uh, because my life was, was quite difficult. I was finding, or I was finding it difficult, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? Which is something now I realise more. But it's hard to. It's it's very easy to verbalise it and do it on an intellectual level, but to do it on a real level is very difficult. When you say that, you know, everything that happens to me, I don't need to get angry or upset about. It's just how I react to it, and and the world's a better place when I don't react badly to it. You know, and, and and nowadays with with how I am and how the, the work that I've been doing and everything, I don't react as badly to things. I don't get as angry. Uh, <laughs> I do still get angry, <laughs> but but it's, it, that anger isn't isn't there lurking all the time. It's not looking for things to get out about. You know, it's, uh, it comes and goes a bit. But uh, my life's been very angry. What kind of drugs do you start with? I started smoking weed. Uh, finished uh, on heroin. So. So it was a uh, that's a quite a progression actually. Um, yeah, I, don't know. I, don't, I, I never do, I never do things by halves. It's either all in or all out. You know, <laughs> what's the point in doing things by halves? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> that's interesting. I um the uh, I lost my father. I think we talked about it earlier before we started this conversation. Uh, when I was very young, my parents divorced when I was like fifteen years old, and. Then I was removed from his home, and then I didn't see him again. And he died when I had just turned seventeen, mm -hmm. and he died in a different state because his brother had come to pick him up. So I went through a lot of the same things that you had gone through on a, on another level because it, you know, he died of cancer, esophageal cancer, and cirrhosis of the liver. So it was expected because he was an alcoholic, but unexpected at the same time because we weren't aware that he was that sick. 
so to speak. And I kind of, I can empathize with you. I understand where you came from because I went through the same thing. I was mad at my mother. I was mad at the world. I was mad at my, my uncles, my grandmother. I was pissed off at pretty much everybody. <laughs> so it, I can understand that it, it, I chose kind of a, I went I, an alternative route to that. Um, when I got out of high school, I went to college to become, to get into law enforcement. So from that perspective, I kind of went into it going with the aspect it was going to be a drug alcohol abuse counter of drug and alcohol abuse counselor at first. Okay. And then realized I, when I started going through some of the stuff, I didn't want to relive that environment every day. Yeah. So I kind of walked away from that portion of it and then just stayed with the law enforcement side of it, which I don't regret. Mm-hmm. Other than when I get hit by the guy, <laughs> I still regret that. <laughs> yeah, getting hit by a car is not a good idea, is it? <laughs> One um, thing. Sorry, go. No, go ahead. One thing that amuses amused me about it when you look back on it, and you know the anger, because uh, I, I was angry at God, but in the same sentence, I'd say I don't believe in God, which <laughs> it's like, how, how, how does that work? <laughs> Uh, yeah, te- it tests your face, but that is kind of a, yeah, that's a deadly entendre, isn't it? Just kind of a, yeah, <laughs> I'm angry at God, but he's really not up there. He's not listening. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because he's really not there. So, yeah, it was quite, it's quite amusing when you look back on it and you see the insanity of it. Because when, when, when I first cleaned up and went into AA, you know, that's when I started to notice the, 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 um, the irony because, you know, it's a big part of AA and, and, and NA, isn't it? Um, God, so it's like that, that was that was quite a big stumbling block for me. Uh, but it was one of those ones where I'm desperate. I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you tell me. I'll do it. You know, uh, compliance and, um, was probably one of my greatest assets for for, for getting clean. When did you le- when did you reach the uh, like we'll call it bottom bottom of the barrel? When did you get that at point where you needed uh, to get into recovery? <sighs> Probably on two occasions. So, uh, so that as I was to say, alcoholics call it a moment of clarity. It wasn't when I went into treatment. That my mum took. My mom, I was I was in a desperate state. My mum thought I was drinking. Um, well, I was drinking, but my mum thought it was alcohol. So she came to pick me up. She'd found a treatment centre to take me to, and um, she come to pick me up. So I, so I said I'd go, you know, because. I knew I was in a desperate state. <laughs> um, I thought I'd just be uh, doing it for a short period of time and then be able to go back and everything would be sorted. So so that was how I went, I went into the t- a treatment centre because of that. Um, you know, badly on my point, I made her take me go and get some drugs before I went in and have some drugs before I went. But it wasn't until um, I had to go to the first treatment centre for five weeks, I think I was, and another one for... 18 weeks, I can't remember the dates now. And it was only when I was at the second place where, where I was, it was quite funny, you know, when you, angels with dirty faces, I suppose. It's like um, I was on a bus and we're, we're traveling, I was in Western Superman, we're traveling into, um, traveling into the town. And for some reason, I'd ended up getting a different bus because I'd missed it, I'd gone on the own. So there's loads of little things that, that, that go there that you start to put relevance to or like there's something to it. So sat on the bus, there's this drunk woman sat next to me. And one minute she's trying to kiss me, the other minute she's trying to punch me, uh, which is quite funny, my mate's laughing in there. And, and then, then she turns at me and looks at me and goes, don't read my mind. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, I'm like, I never want to be there again. 
I don't want to, I've been, I've been I've been sat in rooms after nightclubs where where you've been you know not slept for days and days and trying not to think because I think everyone can read my mind you know I know what that feels like and it's horrible it's like, it's a really horrible feeling because it, it just shuts down everything in your brain it's 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 really disturbing and I looked at it and I went I don't want that anymore I don't want to go back to that you know where where you think other people can read your mind. And from then, that's when my, my um, recovery journey really started. That changed. Um, I used to go to meetings I'd never share, you know, but then you know, I went, started sharing and you know, came out, got sponsorship, threw myself into AA. I'd be going to, what, 10, 12 meetings a week, you know, and really threw myself into it. That was my life for uh, probably a good five years. That was I really, really threw myself into it, doing lots of work, lots of helping other people, lots of development on myself, you know. But um, I got to the point with, with Alcoholics Anonymous where it's it's, it's quite difficult because it, it went from being a great thing for me um, to being a bit negative. And if 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 anyone comes and asks for help, I'll always push them towards that, you know, and, and because it, it it worked for me. But my, my sponsor was super helpful for me, super great for me, and I, I really don't like saying bad things about it, but it, it became very cultish with him, you know, uh, and, and my behaviour was terrible. You know, I was I was telling people that I'm right, you're wrong, shut up, listen to me, basically, you know, and, and uh, it was quite arrogant. It wasn't helpful. It wasn't being helpful for other people, and it wasn't good for me. So I didn't like that behaviour in myself. Um, so I moved away. Uh, I had a few... Bit of problems at the time financially, uh, where I was, I come to a jumping off point there as well. I, I was suicidal because uh, I got myself into difficulty financial. Because, and, and when we're talking about, if we talk about my podcast, is, is one of the things that I, I want to show people in my podcast is that the life that we're told by society isn't the life that you need to live, you know. And that's where um, I, I cleaned up. Um, I've got a house, got a good job, but I'm not a, a square box. You know, I, I, I've got all sorts of weird shapes, you know, and, and I couldn't fit into that box. So I was spending, you know, that I just moved that addiction into spending and, and then that caused me a lot of problems, you know, and because I, I was in a place, I was trying to do something for other people. I was trying to do a job that I, I was no good at, you know, I, you know, it's health and safety and I, I'm, I'm a bit more not safety and not <laughs> not doing that. So, you know, I I, I done what I thought I should do, and it and it, it it went wrong for me. There's a lot of benefits from it as well. That's you know, I wouldn't change it because it got me to where I am. It, it made me understand that being in front of people talking and doing after, like after dinner speeches and, and um, training courses is something that I'm quite good at, which enabled me to do the teaching that I'm doing now. You know. Uh, but yeah, it, it, that again nearly killed me because I was trying to fit into something that d- didn't work for me, you know. So the lifestyle I have now is, is so much better for me. Did is there something? I mean, that's, that's a, obviously it's quite a journey. And kudos to what you've done and accomplished so far. Because I think you said you were into drugs and alcohol for a good ten years. Yeah, yeah. Prior to getting clean, mm-hmm. and then there was five years of um, of working through with did I was, that. I was, was it five years. At, no, it was 10 years in AA. I think it was about 10 years, nine, 10 years ago, or something like that, when, when, when the debt problem really, really caught up with me. Um, uh, and that's when 
got rid of everything, moved to Thailand, started started teaching. Um, uh, and yeah, then we come to this place. Well, outstanding. Still well done. Good job. Um, so when you moved to Thailand to start teaching, what do you teach? Um, now I'm teaching England, English. Uh, then I was teaching an English program, so primary school teacher, so you teach English, math, science, PE, health, so everything like so. Why did you Which choose I, Thailand? I, I, I didn't in a way. I wasn't going to do it. I was going to go to Africa because of, I look back on my life and went, you know, I took so much stuff from, from the world, you know what I mean, when, when I've been taking drugs and things. I'd like to give something back. And I thought what I'd do is go and do a teaching course and I'd go to Africa. But um, I went to Thailand. A friend was in Thailand. I thought I'd go and meet up with him and I'd go and do a course over there. And then I'd go to Africa. But I was skydiving at the time and they just opened a, a new drop zone in, not far from where I was staying. So it's like, and I liked it there. I liked the food, I liked the people, I liked the weather. So it's like, okay, I'll stay, I'll stay here and get a job here. And then, you know, house, four dogs, sort of half married and things later. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, you got one on me because I, I would never, I, I like flying. I like, love helicopter flying, but I wouldn't jump out of a plane. <laughs> so good for you. That's good for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, why I've done that is because I wanted to do a base jump. Um, so, you know, to do, to do some skydiving, uh, first you know, now they say you should be doing about 200 jumps i've done 50 so i wanted to do a base jump and the closest i got was on the roof of a building 140 meter high building uh, and it started raining we were about to jump and then it started raining so that's the closest i've got to doing a base jump so i still haven't done it that was well, I don't know, years and well, years you'll have right. to you'll have to we'll have to check back in with each other see if you've accomplished that one of these days yeah i'll see i was chatting i had someone of a podcast who was one of the like he doesn't like saying pioneers, but he was one of the pioneers of the the UK base jumping scene. I was chatting to him the other day, and you know, uh, he's got a company where he does where he teaches people how to base jump over in Croatia. So yeah, it's like I'm was, I was starting to get that itch again. I want to I want to jump out of planes and jump off buildings or something. So uh, you know. uh, I'll uh, I wish you luck. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do that. Wouldn't do that. In fact, it took me. My wife and I have been married for this. This will this year will be thirty two years. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. It took me thirty of those years, thirty thirty of those years, to get her up in a helicopter with me. <laughs> so, because uh-huh. she's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. Not going to do this. Now she loves it. Uh huh. But I still out, wouldn't jump out of a plane. Jumping out, jump, of jumping out of helicopters is meant to be quite cool because you can just hang off the side. So I believe uh, I was. They had a big open day with all those, but I never went up to the drop zone that day. So my friends are telling me, it's like, oh, yeah, we were hanging off the side. And it's like, wow, oh, that sounds really cool. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So you went you went from uh, from Thailand to China to, teach, to do the same thing, to teach? Yeah, uh, that was because of a girl, really. Um, I was sort of – I was married in Thailand and um, – we split up. Uh, so I'd been in this place for seven years and I'd have probably stayed there, but I met this girl and then she's talking about going to China to teach. And so it was probably the best thing really for me because I'd probably still be there trapped in a way. Uh, unfortunately I had to leave home with my four dogs, which, which um, I probably never have dogs again now because I've had to leave home 
dogs twice, and I don't think I'm a good owner now. So, um, and I love dogs. So yeah, moved everything, and then ended up going over to China, which was a debacle to start with uh, because she couldn't get a job there in the end. And I ended up going, and she went back, and then we split up. We got back together, split up mm-hmm. again. That was a, a crazy relationship. We, we just spent too much time together because of how it was in Thailand. A lot of times we were working and living in the, together, you know, so it was, it was just too much. And then, um, yeah, so we split up. And then I'd done okay with Bitcoin at the time, so I, I'd, uh, I, took, I took a bit of time off the first time Bitcoin rocketed. So I took, took a bit of time off after that. Um, and I got a place in Thailand, and then I went back, back to China, um, working again and, and that was while I had that time off it was like okay she, she was always talking about having kids and that because of my age she didn't want to have kids with me as well because I'm like 51 now so that the risk increased us as you get older so it's like I was I was you know looking at my life and thinking you know what what you know probably not gonna have kids like and what am I gonna do what 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 do I want? what do I enjoy? And it was we'd been talking about going around South South America. She wanted to travel around, so it's like that idea is there. I'd said we buy a motorbike and ride around because I prefer that. Um, and then I'm like, I like exercise. I'll just get a bike and I'll, I'll cycle around. So I started watching some YouTube stuff, and then it's like, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I mean, I'm not a cyclist. I'm not someone who goes camping. Uh, so yeah, I'll go for a year, you know, and, and that's that's sort of you know me on stuff. It's like okay, not not masses of planning. You know, my plan was I'll start in Houston and I'd like to finish at the bottom of South America, but if I don't, I don't, you know. And uh, yeah, that that was a, a mad journey. That was so just the amount of things that happened on that. It's like it's arguably the best thing I've ever done in my life because um, it it's just. It, when, when you go on a holiday, you go to places, you get off a bus or, or whatever, you have a look at it, you get back on, uh, and that's it. And you, you see tourist things, but I wasn't seeing to- – I was just going through little villages and saying hello to people. And I was, I was like that village idiot going, hello, 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 all the time, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, uh, like, having conversations with, like, some fella in a field for half an hour, you know, it was just like people putting you up and – uh, yeah, even even in Texas, people were really good to me. You know, it was uh, yeah, it was stunning. Got stopped by the cartel when I was in Mexico. Yeah, that, that was uh, a bit worrying. <laughs> yeah, see, that would yeah, interesting. I think I just read an article where they found a dip with um, about fifteen different bags of different body parts. Uh huh. Yeah, I was in one of the it's Tamp- Tampolinas, is it or whatever? Just the one that, that connects to Texas. I didn't realize yeah. it was that bad at the time. And uh, I went off the main road on this side road and thought, I'll build this back way and through through over the mountains. And then next thing, a pickup truck, two pickup trucks, one in front of me, one at the side of me. It's like, I like they jump out, one with the camouflage jacket on, one with a vest on, one with the uh, Kevlar hat on and a Kevlar jacket. And it's like, oh. this isn't the police, this isn't the army. <laughs> so six of them surround me, got machine guns, pistols, side, side arms, and everything, you know. Uh, and they proceed to start asking me questions. So eventually they go, and then um, I'm, I cycle a bit. So I turn my GoPro on, turn it around, and I start talking into it. They must have seen this, or someone told them. I don't know. Next thing, they're back again. It's like oh, back. This, this, this is what you know. So it, in all fairness, they were all business, you know. 
it, it was business to them. They were on the phone to the boss. Um, one thing I know about them is they've got more money than me, so they're, they're not going to—they're not after my money, are they? They just want to make sure that I'm not, you know, spying on them. That I'm not army. I'm not the after police. Them. Yeah, not to them or their money. Yeah, they're protecting their business, and and, and they were—that's how they behaved. They could have tried to humiliate me. They could have tried to do loads of things to me to make them feel bad, but they didn't. It was all laughing and joking, and and you know, and, and quite fun. Like they're offering me cocaine and everything at points. Uh, the, the the biggest worry was as. I know, I'm there, and the main guy was on the phone. He, 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 on the second time, he didn't bring his, his automatic weapon with him, and this pickup truck starts coming towards us, and he runs back to get his, his machine gun. I'm like, I'm, I'm on my bike here, straddled on my bike. I'm like, I do not want to be caught in a crossfire. You know, it's like, how, how do I get away, you know, because I've got my bike and everything to get out of the way first. That was that was when I got you know, I'm more scared than before because that's easy to get killed then, isn't it? You know, so uh, if, if, if they start shooting. What I did notice that like about a couple of months before, they'd shot up a truckload of army people in that area and killed, killed a massive load of army. You know, so they, they, they don't mess about. If you want to one-stop everything for one more thing before you go, visit BeforeYouGoPodcast.com where you can find each and every episode of One More Thing Before You Go, links to your favorite listening platforms, subscribe and review option, and as a special bonus, by visiting BeforeYouGoPodcast.com, you can purchase any book from our shows, access expanded show notes and guest bios. And if you're a podcaster or just getting started, BeforeYouGoPodcast.com can make your life easier with highly recommended podcast equipment and resources for editing and publishing BeforeYouGoPodcast.com as it's the perfect resource for everything you need to listen, learn, and grow your own podcast. See, these, these are the kind of things that need to go into your book. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, book, my book is um, is based on my story, but it, what, what I was trying to achieve was is to get people what, – what I see is everyone argues over everything at the moment, and everyone's like, if, if I see something differently to you, then you're stupid. You know, and, and I, hate, I hate that. Uh, so the book was about – trying to get people to check their behaviors and check how they look at things. So it was looking at my life, but then asking questions that go with that and then having people answer those questions as well. So it was, I don't like the word self-help book, but it was, you know, that's sort of, that's what I wanted it to be. But because I've changed so much, it's, it became quite difficult to write. So I need to probably go when I get back to China or something like that, I'll sit down and when I've got more time to do that and in a better space. Uh, I've got another idea for a book which is on a similar vein, which 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 I think's a, a nicer idea. And I don't know whether anything comes of it or not is another matter. But yeah, it'd, be, it'd be quite nice to do. Well, I wish you luck on that. I'd... Without without going into too much detail, the the the, the way I, the the book that I'd like to do um, is bringing like six authors together to to talk about different things throughout the book. So it, it'd be quite a different dynamic. Uh, which I don't want to do it from people from different demographics and different areas. So you've got different, like I, I've got a friend who's a Muslim girl, you know what I mean? Her perspective is going to be massively different to mine. But to, what I want to do is show that we're all the same, we're all different, and we can all be both of those things, you know? Um, and just because someone thinks differently than you doesn't mean they're an idiot, you know? Uh, it's a brilliant idea. You know, it's like someone said to me, like, uh, like, Flat Earth is those idiots, and and I used to think like that, but 
you know, I, I think it's it's stupid of me to call someone an idiot because they've got an idea that I don't believe in. Uh, I think that one, as soon as I call someone names, conversation stops and you're straight into an argument. Uh, and that's the thing that I really hate about, about the internet is it's easy to call people an idiot, you know, and, and things like that. I got kicked off a podcasting uh, thing on Facebook the other day because uh, someone put sort of conspiracy theories and, and, and jokingly said, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I believe everything the media says to me. I, you know, Kennedy was shot by one bullet and, and um, Epstein killed himself. And this guy, in his, in his over-eagerness to correct me, <laughs> starts telling me about how JOK isn't like that. It was obviously tongue-in-cheek. It was obviously a joke. So I said, oh, I can't remember. I said something quite sarcastic. But, uh, you know, I, I, I laughed and said, I, I hope someone helps you with my, with my post. So... I know. And, and then he replied. And then the moderator comes in. He's like, stop being a so-and-so, so-and-so calling me names. I said, don't, don't, don't call me names. You know, I don't, I don't think you'd go and do that if it was in the street, would you? You wouldn't come up to me and say that to me in the street. I'm not saying I'm bigger than you, I punch you in the face. But under normal circumstances, people don't behave like that face-to-face, do they? You know what I mean? So... And that's what I was trying to say. I wasn't trying to be threatening or anything like that. Um, and he's like, don't try this straw man thing. So he must have felt threatened by this. Don't try this straw man thing, trying to bully me. And then he deleted me and deleted the post and everything. It's like, oh, you coward. <laughs> you, you, want to go and, you want to go and call people names. And then when someone calls you on it, you get upset and call them more names. It's like, oh, that, but that's, for me, that's that's a bigger virus. And the virus that's happening at the moment, that um, thing of like cancel culture and everything and real really you know not allowing other people's ideas and ideals you know it's uh, I, I feel sorry for for every I, the thing is i can see that that i used to do that in myself which is which is probably more poignant for me now you know it's interesting that as you just mentioned the cancel culture the fact that people are afraid to discuss or afraid to talk about things mm. for fear of either being shut down sued negated immediately you know people have lost the opportunity to have a discussion mm. have a conversation and a civil discussion a civil conversation yeah you and i can talk about something we may not always agree on it we may not always agree the path that one of us took i'm not saying that you took the wrong path i'm just you know saying that no, we may not agree on something mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we cannot have a civil conversation yeah. because we can always learn from each other that's why I have these conversations, honest and open conversations, so that we can learn from each other. Because yeah. everybody's got something to learn. No, no matter how old you think you are out there, or how smart you think you are, or how many degrees you have, you know, life experience also is a degree. And those experiences can teach you something. So everybody should learn to, to just stop and listen. Yeah, that's, that's a th thing that they say in AA, you've got two ears and one mouth, and, and there's, there's a ratio in that, you know what I mean? Listen twice as much as you speak. You know, and it's probably a management, management thing as well, you know, and, and it, is a, it is a, you know, if you listen more and speak less, you, you, um, it, it is normally better, which I, I could do with taking my own advice there because I love talking. <laughs> the reason I now have a podcast is because I love talking. Did, it's my, how, it's my how, outlet. Sorry, how did you find that transition? Because I like talking. And if, if I'm honest, I'm not great mm -hmm. at conversation. 
I'm very good at talking, if you know if you know what I mean, the slight difference. Um, and going from me talking to me extracting information, which I only normally do when I'm chatting girls up, if I'm, if I'm honest, <laughs> to be totally candid. The only time, oh, yeah, what, what do you like? Uh, I don't say that to me mates, you know what I mean? I same say principle. That to, yeah, you know, so. It's the same principle. Yeah, so. so yeah, you, you know, I mean, it, it's a conversation. When I first got into podcasting, I had to go from, I mean, I spent 16 and a half years as a law enforcement officer. I was a sergeant. I was in I was in charge of investigations at one time. I was in charge of the domestic violence task force at one time. It's kind of a situation where I had to learn from being an interrogator. Russ, where were you last <laughs> Friday at 10 p.m.? Yeah. Do you have an alibi? Who can substantiate that to go on, hey, dude, where were you? What were you doing last Friday? Mm-hmm. And and make it kind of a, a conversation. I feel it benefits you, it benefits me, it benefits my audience, and that benefits both of us because it gives you more exposure, gives me more exposure. A lot of it was I'd go back and listen to my first episodes and then i go, man, that just sounds like too much like a cop and <laughs> just relax and just have a conversation. Yeah, my, my, my early ones were very much an interview. Um, and then it because I, I had all these questions and I had loads of these questions wrote down. Now it's like I've got a couple of notes and and because uh, I normally speak to fighters or, or people who are um, involved in something like uh, I had a guy from the Bletchley Foundation on the other day, which was really cool because it's the first official sort of place someone's come from to be on the podcast. So I, I really enjoyed that. That was a different different thing. Right? But but now I just try and make it that conversation that. The, the problem I, I still struggle with, and I think that uh, unless you, you're face-to-face with someone, it's that you've always got to wait a little bit on the internet, haven't you? So you want to jump in. But if you jump in normally, you jump in that split second too soon because of – so it's 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 finding those gaps it, I, is one of, one of my struggles um, that I'm still trying to come to terms with because – there needs to be like you talking and me talking. Otherwise, it's you know, diatribe from me is a bit you know, it's, it's not a conversation, is it? So. Well, and and I, especially when you when you have interviews from all over the world, mm. um, like we are right now, which is fantastic. The twenty first century is a, a gift in that regard because we can have a conversation like we're having a well, I'm sitting there having a cup of tea while we're talking. Speaking of working, uh, you manage your health with uh, plant based. How did you? Uh, How'd you learn? No, that? no, I think I think you misunderstood me. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm I'm a carnivore. I was doing the carnivore diet actually. Uh, my diet is, uh, my, I'm not doing much on diet at the moment. I used to do a lot of research on diet and a lot of things on diet. Uh, so the only thing I'm doing on diet at the moment really is drinking loads of bone broth, uh, making a lot of bone broth at the moment, which which is super good for you, really good for you. It's like when I was in America actually, and it was it was the thing that made me laugh so much. There was this old lady in, is it Walgreens? Um, is that a chemist or a pharmacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so it's in Walgreens. Mm-hmm. There's still be this lady, and she's got a prescription off the doctor for probiotics, and she can't afford it. And it's like, why isn't the person, I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm not going to get involved. I'm like, why isn't the person behind the counter saying, look, love, you don't need to buy probiotics. <laughs> if you can't afford it, just Eat some kimchi, eat some pickled food, 
make yourself some bone, go to the butchers, get make yourself some bone broth. You know, one, one you're going to make food anyway. Two, it's really good for you. It's better for you. It gives you something to do, you know, but the doctor's giving her prescriptions for, for probiotics. It's like, come on, and bone broth's the best probiotic, really. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite sad. That was one thing that uh, in America, it's like fast food and, and pharmacies, isn't it? Oh, oh sorry. Well, it, yeah. Fast food, pharmacies and nail shops. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, they make a fortune on it, especially the pharmacy here in the United States. The pharmaceuticals are just an exorbitant. I picked up eye drops because I have an issue with my eyes, and the eye drops were without insurance. is like $222, which is like an oh. immense amount of money when you're trying to just make a living. Yeah. You know what wow. I mean? So, you know, I... The reason I want to bring that up about the, the, the plant, I mean, I think my notes, I've got plant medicine. So yeah, plant medicine kind of, is what I've been You doing. kind of answered that, yeah. I may have phrased that a little bit incorrectly, but my, I manage my, I have a disease. I have mm -hmm. rheumatoid arthritis, severe rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. And uh, I had a severe reaction, as most of my listeners um, have, my audience have learned over this time period that I've been podcasting, that um, I had a severe reaction and about killed me with uh, the drugs that they were putting me on in order to control and manage the rheumatoid arthritis. Yep. I went from 165 pounds down to uh, 100 pounds. They are about to put me in the wow. hospital until they finally figured out that it was the drug that they had me on that was causing me to go into rheumatoid, rheumatoid cachexia. And cachexia is a muscle-wasting type that happens to people like who get uh, cancer treatments. For example, you see how the emaciated they get, they can't keep nutrients. Mm -hmm. Same principle. So the drug that they had me on, had, it was a tumor necrosis factor inhibitor, and it kind of mimicked the same thing as a, doing a chemotherapy, basically. Um, it burned going in. It made me sick for days, you know, rash where I had to get the injection and everything, and it literally about killed me. So I dropped that after the the um, oncologist and the hematologist was able to figure out exactly what was going on because they sent me to every specialist they could think of and they thought, well, you've got to have cancer. You know, going from 165 to 100 pounds, it's got to be it. So they went through all the testing and they came up with uh, that analogy and they said, you need to get off of it immediately. So I went from that and I have been um, basically... I'm primarily a vegan. I eat fish, but with my rheumatoid arthritis, um, the things that I eliminated anything that's inflammatory to or a trigger to my rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. And there's any number of things that are a huge list, actually. And then I based my diet around that. And then I started taking herbs and I've got acupuncture and some Asian Eastern medicine as well as. Um, uh, exercise and I manage my disease now and I'm back up to about 140 pounds uh -huh. so I'm not back up you know back up to the 165 but I'm back up to 140 pounds and um you know I'm not having any issues I still have a flare-up every once in a while because I do have a disease but I take plant-based medicine in order to control I do boswellia for the inflammation I do turmeric for the inflammation as well you know, I do krill oil. I use um, uh, what else? Just a whole slew of um, basically anti-inflammatory and uh, blood thinning 
mm-hmm. and blood cleansing herbs yep. that helped me to manage my disease. And I'm much better for it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, goji berries are good ones for your blood, aren't they? they they're, they're really good at leveling your blood pressure out. So that they, they, if you've got high blood pressure, they'll bring it down. If you've got low blood pressure, they'll bring you up uh, uh, like another superfood, aren't they? So they're, they're quite a cool one to, to do. But yeah, I, I used to do loads of research on, on different things for, for, uh, for, for diets. Uh, I'm, not as tra- I'm not training as much as I used to be. I'm not exercising as much. You know, a ketone diet really works well for me, but make, live, the life I'm living at the moment, I, I can't stay in ketosis. So, because uh, it, it's quite difficult, because uh, if you eat too much meat, then you, that that turns it into sugars. So it, it's very difficult. But it's it's a really good diet. One thing that um, uh, what's his name now? I can't think of his name. There's a guy I used to I used to listen to and, and, and watch a lot when he was talking about diets and he talks about the the the, the pharmaceutical industry and doctors. It, it, he talks mainly about the US because from he's there and. and uh, you know, the, the amount of time they spend with the patients about three minutes before they've made the diagnosis because they've got that many people, you know, and the, the idea of a pharmaceutical company is there's no money in curing people, is there? There's, no. You know, the money is, is I give you a drug with one side effect that you have to take for the rest of your life and then that side effect comes in then I give you another drug to cancel that side effect and then and then the next thing you know, you're taking 25 drugs you know what I mean, and you're spending a thousand dollars a month on on stuff that you've got to take for the rest of your life. And he was saying like doctors do only a couple of lessons on diet in their, or is it five years that it takes to be a doctor? They do a couple, like one semester, uh, and one class and one semester on diet. So they're not going to talk to you about diet, and that takes too long, isn't it? Like you're, you've done an elimination diet, haven't you, where you've eliminated everything out, and then did you start bringing stuff back in? I did, so, and yeah. um, and that's where I've also learned about the um, well, like talking about the kimchi or the uh, mm-hmm. the sauerkraut or anything yeah. like that to help with your stomach and the probiotics in your stomach naturally. Yeah. So during that process, I learned I learned that how to control my blood pressure, how. To, mm-hmm. How to control my uh, the my gut health and so all through what I eat and how I eat it, you know from from my perspective and and it's uh, my doctor's my rheumatoid doctor from years ago, you know laughed at me because I said I'm going to control this with herbs and acupuncture and diet, mm-hmm. and he kind of he really he physically laughed at me and said there's no scientific proof to prove any of that. So I proved him wrong. They, 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 <laughs> so. don't, they don't want to, do they, either? So, you know, it, 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 so who's going to pay? Which pharmaceutical company is going to pay for a study on that? Not, well, exactly. There's not, so they're not going to find it, you know what I mean? It's like when you, when you look at studies, it's okay, who's paid for it? Is, is the first one that, that you need to look at to see the validity of it. Uh, you know, and there'll be one studies on it, but they just binned. I know it's uh, one 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 person I do like for for diet is a, is a lady called Doctor Rhonda Patrick. She's been on the Joe Rogan show and she she does her own show. The the depth of knowledge she has and how much she breaks it down is amazing. She she's really really good on on, on diet. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting what she has to say. Because I, I started I'm taking for, for for my mental health. I, she I was watching her and she was saying about high doses of, of omega threes. So I, I was taking like five tablets of omega-3s, which are meant to be one a day, but that, that's really good for your mental health, you know. 
and then I've done that the, the gut brain biome, uh, gut brain connection. So you, you got biome, and then doing that with your probiotics. So I, I, I use bone broth, but it, it doesn't matter, you know. And that that then helps helps my me mentally as well, you know. So because I think, you know, my, my gut, when things aren't right for me, my guts feel funny, you know, and I have problems with that. So it's it's obvious that there's something wrong there. I, I think people have stopped listening to their bodies hmm. because your body will tell you what's wrong and what doesn't work and what does work. They just kind of listen, especially, unfortunately, the older generation. They say, well, the doctor said, so this is what I have to do. Yeah. And they don't want to step outside that box. The doctor said, this is what I want to do. Won't step out of that box. So I'm, I, it's frustrating because some of the conversations that I have had with with individuals, not not frustrated at them, but the fact that the things that we brought to light in regard to the pharmaceutical industry, mm. even the food industry, actually, the stuff that they put in food, you just have to really, will blow people's minds, the stuff that gets put in for filler on, on the food you buy, uh, unless you, I mean, I eat organic, no matter what it is, we try to eat organic about 95%. Is, is what we we try to do is the organic because we know a little more of there's no fillers there's no nothing mm -hmm. you know make my own beans make my own you know whatever i can i make my own mm -hmm. we try not to buy canned goods we try not to buy anything that's processed in such a manner that again you start reading all these chemicals that they put in there it's just really kind of sad actually yeah that, that's the thing that gets me about um it's, it's the, the the irony of it, you know, there's like the war on drugs. Got this pandemic. We want to inject you full of drugs. Hang on a minute. You said drugs are bad. What's going on here? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're telling me drugs are bad in one way, but as soon as there's a problem, you want you want to stick me full of drugs? <laughs> What's going on? And it's like, you know, the government's like trying to pretend that, oh, we, we really care about your health. It's like, hang on a minute. What, why haven't you banned McDonald's then? Why haven't you, like America's really bad for it, isn't it? Roundup. You know, why aren't you banning Roundup? Why aren't you banning saturated fats? Why, why aren't you banning um, putting um, antibiotics into the food chain, through into cattle? Which, if you didn't, if you did, oh, why aren't you banning pollution as well? If you didn't do all of those things, this pandemic wouldn't be anywhere near as bad because we'd have all the resistance to it. We'd have exactly. a stronger, healthier body, which can fight off diseases, you know. Um, exactly, exactly. I'm sick less now than I was before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and the first thing they said on the last drug I was on, I I don't can't say the name out loud because I don't want to get uh -huh. sued, but the last drug that I was on, um, one of the first side effects is that this can compromise your immune system further and make you, you know, sick, make you you know susceptible to getting the flu or the cold or whatever the case may be. So yeah, it's just it's frustrating. Very frustrating. If you think, like, they say antibiotics are one of the worst ones for wrecking your gut biome, you know, which then causes mental illnesses, immune deficiencies and things like that. And all, all, the, all the animals, all the cows especially, are pumped full of antibiotics and steroids, aren't they? You know? Uh, yeah. It's like, what, what chance have we got? So for, no wonder that the Western countries like the US, the UK, and parts of Europe I've had so many problems. It's because of, because of that, I'd say as well. You know that the, the amount of stuff that's pumped into foods. 
I've I've heard that that I just read an article actually through um, Forbes, I think, uh-huh. where something like sixty two percent. There's been a sixty two percent rise in vegetarianism uh-huh. in Brazil, yeah. where they're known for their beef, uh-huh. and most of it was because they were tired of all the stuff that was going into the beef. Yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, it's, Crazy. Uh, I, you know, I I try to stay away from the news about things like that. About uh, I try not to talk about all, all this too much because one, people don't want to hear what I've got to say, whether it's right or not. I, I don't know. It's what I think's right um, and what I've read about, about different stuff. Because you'd probably put me in in that. I don't like using the word, but I, you know, I'll use it because everyone sort of knows it. That conspiracy theorist. That I don't believe what I'm told uh, from mainstream media and governments because. They've lied to me that many times. It's like, what it amuses me, you know, you, you've got a friend, haven't you? And, and they lie to, you find out that they lied to you. Then, then you find out again, then again. And after the third time, I don't believe anything they said. And I think most people are like that. But the powers that be lie to us all the time. <laughs> but everyone keeps believing them. And it's like, uh, yeah. I, you know, it, I might be wrong frustrating. But my first port of call is I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, very. It's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. And, and without going into political debate, the last four years prior to January have been extremely frustrating for us here because of that in particular. We heard so much of that rhetoric that it just kind of pounds it into you. So you have a podcast. Tell me about it. Yeah, I, like when I was stuck, like I got stuck in Peru, didn't I, for, for four months. Um and I've been thinking about doing a podcast and it's like, I'll do it because I'm in a room on my own. <laughs> uh, the only time I, I, I really go out, I used to go out on a Friday and go to this ayahuasca ceremony. So I'd go there on a Friday night and spend some time with someone who'd become friends. And um, so that's the only time I'd really speak to other people. So I thought, I'll oh, just start a podcast, just start talking to people and then really enjoyed it. You know, enjoyed the chatting, enjoyed talking about different things and trying to get guests and, you know, I, not many people watch my show. Uh, it's it's a niche thing, but not niche enough for it to be that popular. There's loads of people doing, loads of people interview fighters because that's who I know. You know, what I mean, that's that's I'm, I'm in the, normally in the gym in Thailand. I'm in the gym here, and so and I'm involved when I'm in Thailand. I'm involved with one of the fight companies, fight organisations. So um, involved, at, just help out, and then so you know, I. I, I got fighters on and speak to them, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, done all right, but, you know, my numbers are very good. <laughs> Do you talk, you talk MMA, martial arts, or? Yeah, boxing? MMA normally, some kickboxers as well, so, yeah, uh, most of the people I know are MMA fighters. No, it, it, um, everything starts with a few, and can grow to many. Hmm. It, it's, I never think it's going to be that, that, um, I'm never going to get a massive audience because one, the, the the market's quite saturated, and there's a lot of people with a lot more profile than me doing it. But it's a passion project. It's something I enjoy doing. You know, um, I, I, I don't care about obviously. Don't get me wrong. I think everyone would like to be Joe Rogan and Spotify coming along and saying we'll give you eight million to to go on to Spotify. Like, but I can't see that happening. You know what I mean? So it, it's a hobby. Yeah, and that's it really, you know. So And you enjoy doing it, so that's what yeah. works. Yeah, yes. That's that's all that really matters to me. 
Well, this has been an absolute pleasure to meet you and to listen to your journey. I really appreciate uh, what you've accomplished. I think that you uh, can be an inspiration to others and how you've gone from where you were and where you are now. And uh, I have uh, this show is called One More Thing Before You Go. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice that you would like to share? Try as many things as you can so you can find out what you like. One of the things I've really really want, would want to do is, is develop a course for, for, for students who are leaving university because I, I don't think that prepares you for life and for work. So it's, it's uh, being able to answer those questions that you, don't, that you don't do at school, that you don't answer at school or, or university. So it's, what do I enjoy? What do I like? What makes me happy? You know, how, am I a sort of person who wants a nine-to-five job and, and is that, does that make me happy? Or do I need something else, you know, because not everyone is that nine to five person and they're happy like myself, you know, it's like, so experiment with things, try different things, travel, go and live in different places in the world. You know, that, that's been massively eye opening for me. You know, I've, I've lived in China, Thailand, uh, Colombia now, I've been living there for a few months, you know, so uh, yeah, go, go meet other people. And you'll, what you'll find is that most people are like you all over the world. You know, they, they just want to get on with their lives. They want to be happy. They're not, they're not bothered about all the other stuff, you know, because like we were talking about earlier with the cancel culture, most 90% of people aren't like that. It's only the people with the big big mouths on, on the internet. When, when you go around and you're meeting normal people, they're just, you know, they don't want wars. They don't want that. They don't want, you know, uh, and then try and, one thing that can, oh, no. I'll finish on this one. This is it. Otherwise, I'll be here for another hour. Um, I, I, I got angry while I was in Peru and it's like, I want to change the world because I'm fed up of all this. But it's like, okay, how, how can I change the world? I, one, I'm not charismatic enough like, you know, to, to affect that many people. So it's, what do I give off so I can then influence the people that are around me? So think about what what energy sounds a bit new age, doesn't it? But what energy you give off and what, what you give off will influence people around you. I think there's a Spike Milligan saying about a smile is, I can't remember, there's a poem, it's great. Uh, if, I don't know if you want to put it up and look up, look it up. And it's like about a smile, a smile at you, you smile at me, and then you smile at somebody else, and the next thing, the smile's gone all the way around the world. You know, and, and that's that's one of the things is how to affect the world, isn't it? Affect, affect the people closest to you. That's profound. It was on the back of an ayahuasca ceremony, so uh, it, 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 that you get to think on those levels and, and it's the truer I can't get in the way of my thinking then my intellect can't get in the way of my thinking which is beneficial to me I think we should all take a note from that where can we find your podcast um, Russ's One Idea podcast on, on YouTube um, I'm trying to put it on other places at the moment but it just runs on YouTube Russ thank you very much for joining me here thank you for having me it's been, it's been wonderful it's been a great chat to you Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.